Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Musgrove, and it's time for our second end of season review. Today, I'm joined by John Gibson, and we're going to discuss the 2021 campaign, eventful as it was. John, we're going to start with just your summing up and marks out of 10 for Newcastle United as a whole during the last campaign. Uh, marks out of 10 for the team, I would give no more than four because we've got to realise that for four-fifths of the season, it was very depressing. It was poor, it was negative, it was timid. And yes, there was a, a glorious finish, if you like, the last nine games when we got five wins, and that's terrific. But it should not paper over the cracks of what had gone before. Um, I mean, when I look at setting the standard of Newcastle United, I followed them when they won the European Fairs Cup, the last trophy they won in 69. I was a supporter, albeit as a kid, when they, they won their last domestic trophies in the 50s in the FA Cup. Uh, I was with Newcastle when they twice finished runners-up in the Premier League, the Kevin Keegan entertainer side and the Bobby Robson side that finished third and played a load of Champions League matches. When you've seen that, you can't get gushing about what we've just witnessed this last season. It was nowhere near good enough, and to give them any further marks would be to... Uh, to make it much better than it was and not leave enough room for improvement. It was a very poor season. And um, when we think of the good ending with five wins in the last nine games, we've also got to remember that we went through a period where we won two matches in 21 games. And 21 games is a heck of a long time. And that, which included going out of the League Cup when we could have been in the semi-final, to Brentford reserves of the championship. I know they're going to be different next season, but of the championship, it was a poor, poor season and we can't lose sight of it. Do you think Newcastle were ever in danger of getting relegated? Did you? Was there a point in the season where you feared that they were going to be playing championship football next season? Fleetingly there was, and they were bad enough to deserve that. But all the way along... I felt that the three teams that eventually went down were so bad and so far cut adrift when you think of Sheffield United and Fulham and West Brom. They were awful and all three went down without making 30 points. They all went down with points in the 20 range, which is horrendous. And my comfort, even during the two wins in 21, was them three all the way along, and I think they kept this up rather than ourselves. But yes, there was a period in the Depression when we were in the bad old times and the results were dreadful, where you thought, if if one team out of those three strings something together and it looked at one time as if it might be Fulham when they won at Liverpool, then it looked as though it might be West Brom when suddenly Sam saw some life in them. Uh, but they, they faded. Thank goodness for that. But they were in danger, and it was thanks to other people rather than ourselves that we got out of it. What about the impact of Graham Jones? Obviously, came in, added to the first team. Steve Bruce says it's, it was his choice, his appointment, so we'll, we'll take his word on that. He's obviously joined up with the England squad for 
the Euros yep. there, you know, which has crapped off a great few months for him coming back to his home town club into yep. the England side there or the England coaching staff. So what impact do you think he had? Massive. Um, and results and facts have proved that. Um, when Newcastle uh, significantly upgraded their results in the last nine games of the season, I think the impact of two people changed everything for us. Graham Jones from Monday to Friday and from the tactical bench on match day and Joe Willock on the pitch. The reason Newcastle got out of trouble comfortably in the end, apart from the, the bottom three being so horrendous, was because of Willock and Jones. There's, In my eyes, there's absolutely no question of that. Jones did a superb job. Uh, he came here, he was... When you call him a front foot coach, I don't mean that Newcastle played on the front foot after he came because they didn't have 65, 70% possession, etc., etc. But what they did was when turnovers came, they went direct for the throat of the opposition. When they got a turnover, they went forward and they went forward with pace and they committed people forward. They weren't doing that, they were going square and backwards in the original setup, they were so timid, it was untrue. Jones decided that when we got the ball, the pace we had with Almiron and Sir Maximum and Willick, and let's get at them on the counter and let's make it, uh, and Wilson when he was in the side before he was injured at the end, uh, let's get at them. And it worked. And the influence that Jones had, I mean, I referred to it in a Chronicle article at the time, we had a good January, you know, in the transfer market, and we only got two people. One of them was Willock, and one of them was Jones, who we didn't need to do in that, in that transfer market. But those two signings in January were hugely significant. Do you think it was Steve Bruce's choice? Because if it was, and he's held his hands up and gone, look, we need a fresh pair of eyes, we need a fresh voice yeah. in the, within the training you know, vicinity, that, that takes some... Balls in a way because he's such an experienced manager. It takes it must take a bit of dint of the pride to say, Do you know what? Maybe I'm not good enough in this situation. It does. It either takes a lot of balls or it takes a lot of desperation, whichever it happens to be the case. We will never know whether it was Steve's uh, idea or it wasn't. Um, certainly, if it was his idea, it must have been a stunner for the other two Steves. Agnew and Clements, who have been his backup team for yonks now, wherever he's gone, they've gone as a threesome. And it, whatever way we want to dress this up, or Steve Bruce might want to dress it up, it was a slap in the face for Clements and Agnew because they were reduced to being the the, uh, the people standing behind Jones. Um, I'm not really bothered whether it was Ashley's uh, intention or whether it was Bruce's intention. Um, I'm just delighted that Jones came here because his attitude uh, has been terrific. Uh, he's great one-on-one -on -one with players as well as the overall team pitcher, one-on-one coaching. He did it brilliantly with Martinez for Belgium. He's now doing it for England. So his stature is high within the game um, and I think that his coming was terrific and is one of the big pluses for next season may I add 
uh, when hopefully he will be here for the whole season and not be taken away by Gareth Southgate to be permanently England. Heaven forbid that, and I'm not certain whether he would want to go back to just being an international or he'd want day to day. But he is and has been a massive plus for Newcastle United. Yeah, 100%. Let's get on to Steve Bruce then. Our footballer said Mark Douglas and his end-of-season review gave him a 5 out of 10. That created a lot of debate on social media. People saying that mark was too high. For you, John, out of 10, what are you giving Steve Bruce for 2020, 2021? Three. Three? Um, yeah. And um, only that because he was... Technically, in charge when Newcastle at the end of the season got the uplift. He got manager of the month for it. Although I, I, I guess the first two people he would have taken out for a beer would be Willock and uh, Jones. Um, I feel that this wasn't... Steve Bruce did nothing to help himself uh, in the whole season. For three quarters of the season, we were so timid because he's a defensive coach at... His first idea is not to lose as opposed to to win. Uh, and that takes you one step off defeat because if you can play magnificently defensively for 80 minutes and then one slip and the game's gone. Um, and he did... And his record tells you, in the, he's been 23 years a manager in the Premier League, the top division, he has never finished... Above ninth, he is he is not a top of the table manager. He is a manager that keeps you up like a lot of managers can. Um, yes, he's had a couple of relegations. There's no there's no danger, but I think he got a huge slice of luck at the end. No doubt he would claim that he appointed Jones and he signed Willock, and who can argue with that? Because we simply don't know. But it worked. Um, and yes, give him some credit for allowing Jones the freedom to do what he did. This is how he's got his three points. And some credit for Willock, who come in and had a fabulous... Uh, but there's problems with Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce is disliked hugely by the fans. They are not in any mood to forgive him or to change their long-term opinion. And what happens next season, all being well, 50,000 Newcastle United fans are in St. James's Park every home game. And Steve Bruce has a job on his hands to change their opinion and get them on side. He's got to start winning regularly to do that, and that's going to be difficult. Well, that was probably one of the biggest slices of luck was the fact that no oh. fans were in during that oh, running. absolutely. But it is interesting, and I was going to ask this later, well, you've mentioned it kind of there, about the 52,000 getting back into the stadium. But, you know, let's say that, let's say that the COVID protocols are lifted and that's doable. Yes. We've got to then think mm. back to the fact that the club give away 10,000 free season tickets oh. and, and struggled really to get rid of the 10,000 yes, tickets they did. for yes, Sheffield they did. United. Um, How are they going to attract... There was 10,000 back. I think that that is the second problem. The first problem is for Steve Bruce if the ground is full. And the second problem is for Mike Ashley if he's still the owner, and I'm afraid that he will be come August at least. Um, how then do they, do they sell the club? Because there's a lot of people now who are saying enough's enough. 
The combination of Mike Ashley and Steve Bruce does not appeal to Geordies and there are Geordies that are saying, until that changes, I'm not going to set foot back in St. James's Park. And that is going to be the other problem. Um, there's no way around that uh, apart from a takeover. And uh, we're all praying for that. Um, because that is the best thing that can happen in the interests of Newcastle United because we've got an owner who readily admits that he doesn't want to be there and we've got a manager who the fans don't want to be there. So we've got problems. The only way you could change that, to be truthful, Andrew, is to have a great summer in the transfer market. If you bring in enough people of potential quality that makes you think, wow, I want to see this team play, then you've got a real chance. But that will not happen under the current situation because Ashley's not going to spend money on the club and then sell it and not be around to reap the rewards either in the league position or in selling on the players that he's brought in. Now, we'll give Steve Bruce some credit for the way that the season finished in just a moment, but we have to look at the way it so horrendously exploded in many ways, especially at the turn of the turn of the year. You've mentioned there the quarter-final against Brentford. They lost to Sheffield United, and they were on that horrendous run. And it just didn't look like it was going to get any better. And then there was a massive win, wasn't there? It was against, I think it was against Everton, Everton where they, was, they, they yeah. turned up, Everton were going for the top four. They turned up, Wilson was absolutely superb. And, you know, they, they shocked everyone in Newcastle by getting the three points. I was just wondering, look, when Newcastle lost to Brighton, that's when everyone came out and said, right, enough is enough. Steve Bruce has to go. Mike Ashley stuck by him, gambled, it paid off in the end. Was there a point for you before that where you thought, yeah, look, it's time's up here, but we you know we need oh. we need a change. I mean, absolutely, you can pick, you can pull a hundred examples out of the air. Um, we got a terrific start at West Ham. We came home, we played Brighton at home, and we were lucky to get nil. We lost three nil to Brighton at St James's Park. Now, Brighton spent the whole season around us in a relegation fight ended the season beneath us in the table and yet over two games against Newcastle they scored six goals and didn't let in any. Now that is frightening. If you look at the three teams that went down and we've already said how poor they were this particular season, all three prevented Newcastle doing the double against them. We played Sheffield United and lost 1-0 at Sheffield United. We played West Brom at their place and drew 0-0. Fulham came up here and got a 1-1 draw playing for 25 minutes with 10 men. That was the moment for me. Oh, First moment I thought, if you can't, there just didn't look any urgency. And that game for me stuck in my mind because I just thought, if you kind of beat a Fulham side, who at that point, they hadn't had their mini revival. They didn't look like they were going to get anywhere not, near not. safety. Down with 10 men, yes, so harsh sending off. But Newcastle, Newcastle was second best in that second half. They were fortunate. And for me, that was was the first moment where I thought, yeah, maybe he's not the right man. We were told pre-season that Newcastle were good enough and were aiming for the top 10 after the summer signings they had made. Three quarters of which were a disaster, by the way. Callum Wilson, outstanding. Ryan Fraser really let down 
the, the club. Uh, Jamal Lewis and Jeff Hendrick have been seen as often as they, you know, not at all. So the, the signings were poor. We then came along and we were told top 10 and a real bash at the two cups. We could have made the semi-final of the League Cup if we'd managed to beat the championship side who had the audacity to put out the reserves against us and still beat us. They didn't even bother fielding Ivan Tony to get in the semi-final well, of the League it, Cup. They didn't, didn't make start any, with them. Didn't make any secret, did they, in the, in the build-up no. that they didn't really want no. to be in the competition. And, and, <laughs> we, and we lost 1-0. Um, you know, so... And wouldn't you think the semi-final of the League Cup, we have never won the League Cup in the club's history. We have never won a domestic trophy from 1955. This might be worth a real pop like. Um, and that could have changed the season. If yeah. you're suddenly going to go to Wembley or something, a season can change. And it didn't. It was just more of the same. When we went to Everton, we had... Uh, gone 11 games without a win, 11 games without a win, and lost our last six. Yet, we put on a great performance. Was it a coincidence that that was Graham Jones's first game for us and we came out with a different tactical formation, which was the diamond with the split strikers, and it worked magnificently at Everton? Callum Wilson must have thought it was his birthday because actually people were coming up and talking to him instead of treating him as if he had B.O. on the pitch I'm talking about. <laughs> he actually got some sort of support. And a couple of weeks later, we beat Southampton. Unfortunately, in beating Southampton, we got injuries. And the whole point was that that system devised by Jones with the split strikers could not be maintained with the same outcome when we hadn't the men to play up top in, in Wilson, Sir Maximum, Almeida. We didn't have those. When we tried to put other people into those holes, that system didn't work and we went six games without a victory. We then regurgitated again and came out with another system, which was the wing-backs, the wing-backs, um, and, and Willick, of course, from midfield, who had been dropped to be a sub, come on and saved the game against uh, Spurs, and then was back in the side, and the box-to-box stuff was fabulous. And let us not forget, in my humble opinion, that while we will talk about Willock and some maximum who is very exciting, etc., etc., etc. Murphy on one side and Richie on the other side as the wing-backs were absolutely terrific because they have a relentless work rate. Murphy, crossing's brilliant. Richie can do the same thing. Those two had been completely ignored. We'd had the trouble with Richie, with, with the manager, and Murphy was out on his neck as at some stage of the season so many go out on their neck and then they were dusted down, brought back in and Newcastle took off again. Um, so yeah, there, there was so many low points but the, the high points 
I saw a few, they stick out like Everton and they stick out like a sore thumb. Um, we've got a few questions from our listeners and you mentioned Jamal Lewis then and, and Paul emailed in to ask if you've seen anything of Jamal Lewis which gives you hope there's a player there who can be a really good Premier League star in the future. I would hope so. There's a lot of basics about him that, that are decent. Uh, his enthusiasm, his ability to get forward and of course... These days, that's so important. You can't just be an out-and-out defender. Um, You can see potential. What worries me is that he loses his man so easily. He doesn't know where the bloke is he's supposed to be marking. The bloke gets away from him so very, very easily. And he... For Newcastle to go and decide he was the guy to be number one in the team at left back because that's what he was when he was bought. And he'd been in a relegated side at Norwich and then struggled in a side that had relegation written all over it before he went out of the team here. uh, I think he's a young man that's got to be nurtured. He's got to have his confidence built up. There is something there if they can get it out of him and my hope is that Jones on his one-to-one coaching will be able to coax the player that's deep inside of, of Lewis because quite frankly he was getting done in a very leaky defence our defence this season if you look at the goals against was shocking uh, and he was very very much a part of that but there, there is a chance there is a hope with Lewis. There's absolutely no hope with Hendrick. Just want to read some stats. So these are the stats that have been taken over the whole of the season. And for me, sure, in many ways, when Newcastle lacked dominance in the middle of the park, and you mentioned there how busy the defence were. So I'll just read them off because um, they're quite interesting. We'll get your thoughts on them, John. So Newcastle only, only completed 13,116 passes which is 19th in the league, only West Brom managed less. They had only 20,065 touches. Sounds a lot, but only West Brom managed less. You then head down into kind of the uh, average possession, and it was 38.7%, ranking them 19th, only behind West Brom, as you may have guessed. Um, But in turn, they only put in 512 tackles, which ranked them... 17th, Man City and Arsenal made up 20th and 19th. But of course, Man City and Arsenal, I mean, Man City were top of the average possession rate with 64%. So you, you don't imagine that they need to put the no, titles in. But no. when Newcastle are having so little possession, you think, well, come on, you've got to put your foot in. And then finally, you mentioned there the defence. Um, they did rank top in terms of clearances with 876 clearances throughout the season, 36 more than West Brom. Fernandez got 144 of them. Um, some might argue that shows that the defence is capable, strong, they can deal with it. No, others, it doesn't. Others would argue no, it doesn't. they're a bit too busy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, there, there's, there's arguments that Newcastle had two super goalies all last season because they had so many saves to make that could, uh, they could um, showcase their talent. Um, Newcastle's defence this season, this last season, was very shoddy and very poor, and the goals leaked, proved that. Um, 
yes, I think Fernandez did a job. We weren't. Uh, we certainly need a centre back. Uh, we never got a grip uh, until the end of the season when we played with the three and had the two wing backs, whether it was Manquillo or Dummett on the other side or Lewis or whoever. We never got a grip. Yedlin early in the season of the two full backs. Um, Newcastle are always going to be a team, the way they're equipped, that'll play on the counter. Um, it suits them with the pacers in on the side. Uh, and the way, as long as Steve Bruce has any influence on the team, there'll be a counter-attacking team. There will not be an out-and-out attacking side, and we haven't got enough ability for them to be that. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the stats are awful. I mean, we, we lack... A centre-half, which we we must get, a one that's that's dominant and will do the job. Lascelles looks uh, very limited. Shaw's had a poor season. Dummett is as honest as the day is long. Clark has been in and out. Fernandez is probably the best of the bunch. We also need, as well as a box-to-box midfielder that scores goals, and pray God that's Willock next season, but I don't think it will be. We also need a playmaker, because John Joe Shelby is not that for me. Uh, John Joe Shelby is yesterday's man that relies on a, a Hollywood ball the whole time, doesn't get around the pitch quick enough, doesn't play in the way the modern game should be played. We need somebody. It's all right having Wilson, but if you don't get the ball up to him, we won't do well. Um, there's a lot of things that have got to be changed this summer, which includes trying to sign Willick, trying not to sell maximum, get a playmaker, get a centre-half. There's a lot of work to be done, and my fear is that we will attempt to do it in the main with loan signings and free transfers. And yes, that can work. We've just seen Willock, uh, but it can also be a recipe for disaster if the homework's not done right. Mm, you want a permanent sign as well, though, to build, to build your team around. You mentioned Shelby then. Interestingly, the stats for Shelby in terms of the passing, he hit the most passes out of the, the number I previously mentioned. They hit uh, just, well, hit 1,401 passes, uh, which put him top more than 500 passes than uh, Miggy. He was second. And he also had uh, uh, sorry, 1,785 touches, which was nearly 500 more than Almiron. I guess his fans might say, well, that's exactly why he's in the team, but he's not effective enough, is he? For what? For what no. he, the wage he commands, the first team presence, we need to see more of him. Um, let's talk about then the praise for Steve Bruce. We've briefly mentioned it, you know, because he does deserve it. He got April... Uh, he got the manager of the month for April. Uh, Mike actually stuck by him after that Brighton game. It seemed a gamble. Steve Bruce, you know, said, "I wasn't going. I'm not going anywhere. I'm gonna. I'm gonna turn it around." And he did do. Um, yeah. I mean, d- did you see it coming? That's a, that's a very very good question. With hindsight, you can see the signs that were there. You can see what Jones did at Everton. And you can see the new system that was evolved that brought the nine-game run into the season. You can see what Willock brought to the team. I mean, to score seven goals and seven successive Premier League matches would be... If he was a centre-forward at Newcastle United, we would be saying this is a potential number nine legend in the making, etc., etc. This 
is a midfield player who got eight goals to finish second top goal scorer at Newcastle and he was only here half a season. I mean, his input was phenomenal. Really phenomenal. We're not going to find that again. No. We're not going to get that in the transfer market this summer from anywhere else. We're not going to get that of somebody playing on the shoulder of Wilson. It's interesting for this coming season. Arsenal seem open to maybe selling. They've been linked with a guy from Norwich. They've been linked to various sure. players in the same position, which just strike me as utterly bizarre because we've seen what he can do in a, in a relatively poor side. I know Arsenal aren't the side of all, but they're still a better side than Newcastle with some yeah. great players in there. So interesting to see that's the route they seem to be taken with Willick. But I mean, he has to be signed next season. We've mentioned uh, maybe another midfielder, centre-back, um, and hopefully another striker as well. Um I just want to ask you about Bruce and his comments. That he, it seems to be oh. that he's his own worst enemy at times. He is, sadly. Uh, I don't know whether he doesn't engage his brain and think before he speaks, but uh, what we had with Rafa Benitez was a very, very clever, astute man uh, when he was put in front of a microphone. Uh, you know, he almost only had two interviews one when Newcastle won and one when they lost. And he said exactly the same thing every time they won and every time they lost. And what did he say? The answer, nothing. He didn't reveal, he didn't expose his innermost thoughts. He didn't leave himself open to contradiction, etc., etc. Steve Bruce does that. Uh, it may be it's because he wears his heart on his sleeve. He's, he's too honest. Uh, you think? Yeah, uh, or it may be that he doesn't give it enough thought before he goes out and has interviews because it's different these days. When I was a young pup covering Newcastle United, I spoke to the manager every day, face to face, only the two of us, etc., etc. So you could get a thrust back. I could catch him unawares, etc., etc. But now it's all nine-tenths of it through press conferences where you can anticipate the questions you're going to be asked before you go in the press conference and think out the best replies to, the, to those situations. So you should get caught out less and less. But after matches, some of the things that will be he will come out with... Um, for, you know, and Darlow to find on man management, which has always been Steve Bruce's strength. Players will tell you his man management over the, the years has been brilliant. His man management of Carl Darlow when he was dropped from the team and he found out through the newspapers was a disaster. His man management of Matt Ritchie uh, over the, the instructions going on the field when Ritchie went on as a sub was a disaster. And some of the other things said... He leaves himself open repeatedly to accusations of, of just saying the most absurd things possible. Um, he's not clever at it. You, you get people like Klopp and uh, who are very astute and clever and carry the, the, the press and the fans with them. He is not capable of doing that and he is his own worst enemy. There's absolutely no question about that. Does he remain in charge? Do you think? Do you think he'll be in the dugout come the kickoff for the the next campaign? Without a shadow of doubt, uh, because the only way he won't be is that if a takeover has happened midsummer, where there's the chance of the new owners putting in their own men, uh, and there's not enough time 
in the summer, the Premier League goes slow and full stop. Um, there's no quickness of the thing. Come August, Mike Ashley will still own Newcastle United. Steve Bruce will still be the first team coach and Newcastle will have had a, a very average or miserable transfer um, summer. And on a beautiful sunny day when we're talking, for me to rain on my own parade is horrendous. But if you're asking me the question, that's what I believe will happen. Uh, what we need is a change at the very, very top. And that means the removal of Ashley, first and foremost. I was going to say, maybe we should put a, he- put a health warning on that point there. But let's, <laughs> let's finish that point with maybe some positivity. There is a platform for Newcastle to build on. If they keep hold of Alan St. Maximum, if Callum Wilson is fit, if, if, if St. Maximum keeps fit, and they do bring in, hopefully, Joe Willock, I think it does centre around secure in that and if we need to know sooner rather than later we need to know within the first couple of weeks really whether that deal is going to happen because we know what Newcastle are like in terms of waiting until the end and then fall, falling oh. flat on their faces but there is some positivity, positivity there that they can build on what we saw at the end of that season and I guess in a way there's, there's no reason not to in many ways because we've seen what they can do yeah, but you're a lovely lad. You're dealing in theory and you're dealing in jolly <laughs> hope, which is what we all do. And I've I've done it for so many years, I can't remember how it all started. There is unquestionably uh, a basis for Newcastle, but 99 times there always is. This is a huge club with a passionate following. There is always a base to build upon. And there is, but how often do we see that base wasted? And that's what infuriates me and that's what I don't want to see and that's what San Maximum doesn't want to see he's already but, said you know come on I don't want to fight relegation he's been very year. vocal hasn't he you know oh we want other players as good as Willock brought into this club the only point is that we're not even going to have Willock so mm. you know I've, I've been surprised because it's not just what I do interviews it's quite a few and it's He's not quite throwing, throwing the brick through Mike Ashley's window, but he's not far off. It's not far off. Um, and, but he's absolutely, totally, oh, utterly correct. Yeah. He is utterly correct. And why should a boy from France who hasn't even got the, the allegiance of being a local here and therefore desperate to see Newcastle above any other club do well, why should he stick around, or anybody else of that nature, stick around if Newcastle aren't going to make some sort of effort to improve? Um, because a footballer's career is very, very short and he's coming up to the best years of his career ahead of him and he's got every right to try to make the best of it and and we are sick of waiting as well um, there is an opportunity yet again as you say with the basis of those last nine games with Jones on the shoulder of Bruce to sort of say come on come on let's stay have a go let's be progressive let's do something tactically I'm talking about mm. in team formation uh, and with the basis of players like Wilson like uh, some maximum like Willock if we can keep him like Dubrovka there is the basis but that has to be built upon because if it is not built upon then then I'm going Oh, isn't it wonderful that Brentford's got promoted? Because I can imagine them going down next season. So there's one. I've only got to find two more. And, and it's sad that Newcastle fans have even got to contemplate thoughts like that. Yeah, 100%. Before we go on to your end-of-season 
awards then. We did put a poll out on Twitter about the next episode of Gibbo's Corner. John, give me mm. four options. There were Fauna's to play for Newcastle United, Alan Shearer's goals at Newcastle United, Jordy's from any club, and then European Cup winners who played at Newcastle United. Now, John doesn't know the results of the vote. Um, quite a few of you guys did cast your vote. And the winning uh, topic is Jordy's from any club. That got 33% of the vote, narrowly beating Fauna's to play for Newcastle United. 29%, Shiva's goals, 25%, and then coming in last but not least, the European Cup winners won. So that will be the next episode of Gibbers Corner, will be Jordy's from any club. So, John, I'm sure you've got a, oh, a fair few tales. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. I'll enjoy that one um, without a shadow of doubt. So, yeah, we'll have a good dip at that. I look forward to that. Graham, we'll get that recorded sometime in June and get it out to you guys. So, hopefully, you can enjoy it on the beach or in the beer gardens. Right. We are going to do the end of season awards. I just want to, um, I'm going to give you some names um, about the players at Newcastle who need their futures sorting. And in a word or two, if you can just straight fire, just tell me what you want to see happening this summer, what you think should happen. So the one we'll start with is Freddie Woodman. Obviously, great loan uh, season or two down at Swansea. Unfortunate to, to miss out there in the playoffs. Did concede a penalty. He's made a clear as he can I think that he wants to probably return to Swansea at the very least he wants first team of football so I'm just wondering um, what would you do with Freddie Woodman? Great question and a lot of it would depend and I'll keep the answer short on whether we have uh, Dolo or not because I can imagine Dolo pushing to go um, because he lost his place to Dubravka having done magnificently and he wasn't too chuffed in the way he found that out uh, so you would want Woodman to be in there backing Dubrovka rather than Gillespie. But I think Woodman will look to go elsewhere, possibly back to Swansea. I would try to do it right now on another season-long loan rather than just cut ties with him completely. And what about, uh, we mentioned Federico Fernandez. We, he's probably arguably the best defender there. He needs a new deal. What about him? Keep him. On a short-term deal, a season deal, uh, etc. Yes, at this stage of proceedings, looking at the centre-halves we've got, you must keep Fernandes. Dwight Gale? Whew. A lot of talk that he's, he's been offered a new deal, but it's yet to be confirmed. I was going to say, we haven't. that's an interesting there's one. There's no confirmation. We haven't had confirmation. Um, in an ideal world, not good enough. Uh, but I've got a feeling that he would stay because on the low of averages, we're not going to have enough strikers next season. And the flip side of that as well is that and you are going to let someone go who, okay, isn't as good as Callum Wilson, but you're probably going to end up paying a lot of money to get someone just at Dwight Gill's quality. So with the budgets, COVID and all that, I can't I can't see them really letting them go unless he gets, no. a, ma gets a massive offer from Andy Carroll. I think already know the answer to this one. Got to go. Mighty, Long, go. Mighty Longstaff. Got to keep him and treat him better. But from him, his point of view, though, you could probably see him knocking on that door. And, and I wouldn't blame him yeah. one iota. I wouldn't blame him one iota. But he is a talent. They've got to keep him. But I tell you what, they've got to have him in and say, look, son, I'm sorry for what happened to you last season. With hindsight, it was unfair. You will get a proper crack of the whip this year. But if I was him, 
I would look at the situation and see the way I was treated before my con- my original contract run out, when he was blocked then, and see what's happened to him since he signed that contract. He played against the three top teams or something, and then all of a sudden wasn't seen again. I would keep him and apologise to him. If I was him, I would want to get out the door. Kieran Clark, you only signed a new deal in January, but whispers that he might be sacrificed to make way for maybe the, the, the centre-back from Celtic or... Um, it wouldn't break my heart if he was. Uh, he, he's as honest as the day's long, but um, you've got to improve on Kieran Clark if you're going to improve on your league position. Florian Lejeune? Go. Such a shame, that one, though, isn't it? I mean, if it... If it, if it oh, but. I mean, the potential and the ability... Uh, has all been huge. He had an injury. We wondered what that did to him. But, I mean, you can make a case. In the the word would always be big-hearted that you'd use after the person's name. You could make a case for keeping all your centre-backs and then you look at the goals against record and say, well, your centre-backs aren't good enough. <laughs> um, so, I'm sorry, go. Uh, we expect Paul Dummer to sign a new deal again. Our colleague Lee Ryder says he's, that's pretty much done and dusted. So, um, Fabian Chair, again, he's reported to have Signing an extension or at least being offered one. Um, again, just waiting on confirmation of that. We'll end with Matt Ritchie, who, for me, was a key element to why Newcastle are safe. You know, him and Steve Bruce had that bust up, whatever, maybe they've shaken hands. Maybe they haven't, but whatever, it's worked. He's come back in. His attitude, uh, no, that, it's no secret on this podcast that I just rename it the Matt Ritchie podcast, I think, because I'm such a big fan. However, if Newcastle get a decent-sized bid, can you see him going? I can see him wanting to go because he's been wanting to go for quite a little while now. And regardless of how things might have been patched up with the manager, I suggest they'll never be quite the same again. Um, I would prefer to see him stay until the overall team's improved to such an extent that we can afford him to go. But quite at the moment, we can't afford him to go. And we're told that Newcastle don't want to sign a left-back in everything they're doing this summer. And Dummett looks as if his future is where we always suspected it would be, which is left side of a three. Um, so I would want him to stay. But the one interesting thing, Andrew, that you haven't mentioned, that I'm very passionate about, as you are with Richie, is Murphy. Well, yes. I mean, it was thought his contract is up this summer, but actually it appears that he does have another year left. So it's not as pressing, but he's done enough to get a new bumper deal, hasn't he? Oh, for goodness sake. I mean, what more can he do? Um, I think that he has earned every right to be part of the Newcastle United setup uh, and has got to be made to feel wanted and has got to have his terms improved. Um he is more essential than most of those people we've talked about already. Thank you for tuning in to Everything is Black and White podcast. We'll get back to the show in just a moment. We just urge you guys to please subscribe to the podcast through whichever platform you use. Totally free to do. just means every time we upload a new episode to our channel, you'll get a notification saying we've done just that and you can listen to it straight away. And if you get the chance to leave us a review as well, that would be much appreciated. That really does help us out. You can also follow Chronicle Live's new Cash United channels over on social media. We're at Chronicle NUFC on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can email us here at the show with your feedback, your comments, your questions, whatever. Just drop us a line at the EIBW podcast at reachplc.com. 
And you can also stay up to date with everything to do with the club by subscribing to our daily Newcastle United newsletter. That's also free. And you'll get a morning news roundup, an evening news roundup, and a breaking news alert as well. And that'll get emailed directly to your inbox. The link for that is in the show notes. Hit that, scroll down to sport-newcastle-united, tick the box, and you'll all be signed up. Once again, thank you for listening. And we'll now get back to the show. On to your, uh, well, I, I, I'm guessing a lot of the players we've just mentioned, there, at least two of them may feature in mm. the your end of season player awards. If you search on the Everything is Black and White podcast, you can find Mark Douglas's end of season review and he went through his end of season awards. We'll start, John, with the star man. Player of the year? Yeah. Player of the year. Well, I, if they'd been player of the half year, then I, I would have gone for Callum Wilson in the first half of the year and Joe Willock in the second half of the year. And they both dollied those particular periods without a shadow of doubt. I would have to go over the full season for, for Wilson because he was top goal scorer. He was the man that gave us hope. He was the man that won off the shoulder. He did everything good centre forwards do that Newcastle haven't seen for a long time. Rondon was decent but didn't have his pace. Willock was sensational but it seems quite ludicrous to give a player of the half year to a player that's not even a Newcastle United player. Uh, so, first half of the season, Wilson. Second half, Willick overall. You've got to go with Wilson, I think. Pretty sure Wilson got Newcastle United. They awarded him the player of the year. Yeah. Um, I just love his attitude. I just think the way, if he scores two, he's out because he hasn't got a third. Sure. And it's that selfish streak. And I, I think I've said this before. I honestly think, having now watched him a lot closer than I ever did when he played for Bournemouth, I'd really hate him to be on the other side just because you can see he's got a little niggle about him, hasn't he? Likes, you yeah. know, I can imagine him just giving a little dig to the defender in the, in the, in the ribs just to make him, I'm there. I'm not saying he has he's done the, that, by the way, but that's what I can imagine but, him but doing. But a good centre-forward's got yeah, to do that. Little, a good centre-forward has got to hold his own because the centre-halves, and there's normally two against you, will I mean, put your bait up. Imagine he's always in the ear of the defender. Absolutely. Again, you know, I like that. So good, good, good player. Uh, my big concern looking ahead, Andrew, and we've talked about it, is that Wilson and Sam Maximum stay fit because both have injury problems. They seem to regularly get injured, um, and that is a worry because Newcastle without them are a different side. But uh, Wilson is the sort of centre-forward that if he'd spent five or six seasons here would become a number nine legend because he has the attributes of... Yeah. The, the ones of the past. And if he stayed fit, he'd probably be in a, in a top six side as well. Mm. But um, we'll, we'll, we'll take him next season most certainly. We'll go with your key moment next. Key moment? Um, I think going to Everton and winning 2-0 because that was me uh, lowering the snake's belly at that stage. We'd gone 11 games without a win. We'd lost six on the bounce. We looked deathers. We, we were uh, timid Timothys. We played so we were scared of our own shadow you can imagine he jumping saying oh who's this next to me oh it's just my shadow that is the way we played and there seemed no way out of that we seemed on a slippery slope going in one direction and that performance was like a breath of fresh air throughout the 90 minutes and uh, Wilson was at the hub of the whole thing and so um, for me that was a key moment because 
not only did it stop the horrendous run, but it gave us a little bit of anticipation of what might be coming towards the season's end. Yeah, fantastic performance. Your unsung hero? Because it was unsung until the end of the season, Graham Jones, for me, is my unsung hero because he came here and um, he had such an impact, which to a certain extent was only seen with hindsight, which is why he's an unsung hero, because... Certainly Steve Bruce didn't give him a platform to keep talking about it in public and everybody was looking over the shoulder and saying, I wonder what input Jones has got. I wonder if he is doing the Monday to Friday. I wonder if he did do the tactics at Everton, if he had something to do with the tactics that were changed again for the last run-in. Newcastle looking better going forward, was that down to him? Well, he's always been a front-foot coach with Martinez, etc., etc., and Willock was not unsung. Willock was trumpeted from the housetops, and quite rightly so. Unsung hero for me, Graham Jones. Most improved player of the season? Most improved player of the season for me is Jacob Murphy, who looked as if his future was all behind him at Newcastle United, had come up here from Norwich. It looked timid. It looked overawed when there was a crowd in, looked a little bit frightened, looked as if he'd hit a stage which was far too big for him, went out on loan. The traditional way that Aaron's, Rolando Aaron's and everybody else has done and you come back and he eventually sold. Uh, he come back and for a long time in this season couldn't uh, couldn't get into the side. And then all of a sudden he comes in at wing-back. And while Newcastle were timid when he first come in at wing-back, he, who is an out-and-out winger, instead of hitting the the tram line and getting down the pitch and putting, he was running towards his own goal, trying to get in tackles because Newcastle was so timid that that's what he'd done. But when he come into the wing-back wall with Richie, he was terrific. He is, without a shadow of doubt, the best crosser of the ball in the club. Uh, without a shadow be- of doubt. Be- better than Richie, better than Fraser? That is correct. Better than both. Richie can hit the first man, but Richie's good. Fraser, Fraser just disappoints me Most so bad. Most crosses this season, though, say the stats. I'm not... Stats are everybody's <laughs> Bible now. Stats are only tell you so much. Completed passes. I can pass the ball to you, who's now sitting three foot away from me, and I've completed a pass. Or I could try to hit the ball like Mount did to win the Champions League through to a centre-forward, and that is also a completed pass. i tell you which pass I want to see. I want to see Mounts. I don't want to see mine to yours by me rolling at six inches, but stats will tell you both are successful. So don't give me stats. Uh, for me, no. The best crosser of the ball, for me, crossing it and, and hitting a man who is in the best position to finish, is Murphy. I think he's come on defensively really well. And I, I've, we've mentioned it before, but I just love listening to him talking about Newcastle United because you can tell it really means a lot to him. He's a boyhood fan. And when he was asked yeah. about, about the fans coming into the ground, his smile was... If you could bottle it, it'd be worth a bit because he's just, he just, I think he just understands it. Maybe that at the start didn't help him because... Mm. He was playing for the club he supported as a boy oh, and the I think pressure he was, was o- on. And He was overawed yeah. initially. But he's come on ups and bounds, deserves a new contract. Hopefully he can build on this season and, and you know just keep improving, which which we all want him to do. 
And again, it's one of these ones that, I hate asking this, but the most underperforming player? Yeah, I bet you. you. Um, <laughs> well, it would be easy to say Joe Linton, but uh, he has been underperforming since he arrived here. I think he's got six Premier League goals and six odd appearances. Arguably, though, his best kind of run was kind of towards the end of the season, which isn't saying a lot because he's cost 40 million. I didn't realise that he'd had a good run, to be truthful. Uh, he has scored once in the Premier League, hmm. once in every 11 and a half games. This is for a striker, whether he's a centre-forward or a right-sider. So he scored once in every 11 and a half. That is frightening. Each goal that he scored for Newcastle in the Premier League has cost us six and a half million pound apiece. I tell you, that the most underperform, underperforming guy is unquestionably him, but we know that. Jeff Hendrick in his first season at Newcastle is the most un, has been underperformed terribly. Jamal Lewis, sadly, you've got to say, has underperformed in his first season. But the one that's really disappointed me is Ryan Fraser. And the reason he's disappointed me is because he has got the potential. I don't see much in Big Joe apart from his physical build. I don't see enough on the field. I've never seen somebody that looks more like Anthony Joshua and and doesn't punch flyweight is uh, is Joe Wilton. But Ryan, Ryan Fraser has ability. You can see the ability. You can see the potential. But you, you look at him. You look at him first. This season, he's made nine starts. He hasn't scored in the Premier League whatsoever. And his body language has been atrocious. He has looked as if he doesn't want to be part of us. He wants to be part of Scotland, but he doesn't want to be part of us. And I am more aggravated by him. Joe Linton doesn't aggravate me anymore. He is what he is what he is. Hendricks doesn't aggravate me anymore. And I hold out some hope for Lewis. But Fraser aggravates me because there is something there. And what worries me is his attitude when he left Bournemouth was shocking, where he wouldn't play for them in their last games, because etc, etc. He doesn't seem to have a big heart. He's not like Richie. And he owes Newcastle United next season. I'm hoping if he gets a pre-season, it'll make a big difference. And he also owes himself, because you know what? He's going to finish his career and look back and say, I wasted a, a, a bit of this. He has potential. So, if I'm pushed, he would get the underperforming because he had the ability to be different. Joe Linton could get it every season as long as he's here. It's going to be interesting to see how Fraser does at the Euros with Scotland. Your biggest surprise of the season? Did Steve Bruce survived after Brighton? Um, because I thought there was no way back. Uh, we were so shocking down there and everything we had done wrong all season under Bruce's leadership came... But in terms of, do you mean in terms of, because I get what you're saying, but when I look at Mike Ashley in the last 12, 13 years, however long it's it's been, were you surprised? Because Mike Ashley doesn't really tend to pull the trigger. I mean. Oh, no, I wasn't surprised that Ashley didn't get rid of him. But um, but I was surprised that, that really what was deserved to me that should have marked the end of Steve Bruce. And I wasn't surprised that Ashley didn't do it because also if you're going, 
like he believes he is going, you don't need the problem of appointing somebody else, whether it would be Jones or whether it would be whoever. You don't need that problem. And he thought Bruce could keep him up. And with the bottom three, the way the bottom three have been, that was a very good bet that was likely to succeed. But I still believe that Steve Bruce's problem is that when Brighton happened, Newcastle United fans had basically already made up their mind about him, but that confirmed it 100%. And while he stayed and Newcastle United stayed up, I don't think public opinion has moved much since it was that day at Brighton. And I still think that's a problem for Steve Bruce and for Mike Ashley next season because that won't go away. It is an awful long way back. The the, the way back for Steve Bruce is as long as the A1. I 100% agree, I think. Like we say, if he gets a bad run of results in the early part of the season, it's oh. certainly going to be interesting. I mean, we'll just make it clear: no one wants him to fail. We all oh. want them to. We want him to By win the, the Premier League. You know what I mean? But I just absolutely, happen, absolutely but. not. I mean, I would be delighted if Newcastle do well in the transfer market this summer and get off to a flyer next season. I am sick of supporting and caring about a club that fails regularly. I want them to succeed. I thoroughly enjoyed the season Newcastle finished fifth top, even though I did not enjoy Ashley and I did not enjoy Pardew. I enjoyed that season because my club was fifth top. I would love that to happen again. From that point of view, I wish Steve Bruce all the very best. It's whether you believe in it and few do. And that leads us on to the final question then, John. What has to happen next? Give me your top three priorities going into the preseason. Great question. Because what happens next is more of the same. Uh, The same owner, the same manager and the same policy that we've had all the time. What happens next if we want to make progress is that this summer cannot be wasted. It has If it is wasted, it's criminal because you spend the whole of next season fighting relegation because you've wasted your opportunity. Traditionally, January doesn't bring a lot of activity. We've got to get it right in the summer. And not only have we got to get some good, we've got to get some activity, and the worry is that there'll be very limited activity, but it's got to work. Last summer, we made four major signings, forget Gillespie because he was only third choice keeper in any case. We made four major signings, Callum Wilson, terrific. Fraser, we've already talked about, flopped from the standard he's had. Jamal Lewis and Hendrick never never took part in the run-in that saved us and saved the season. Um, so we've got to have a better summer than we had last we can't get one out of four right every, every time we go into the transfer market, as good as that one was. Um, we've got to not waste this summer. And yet, with Ashley in charge of the purse strings, and with Ashley indifferent, because he fully intends not to be here at the end of next season, if he's got to be here at the beginning of next season, What's he going to do to to make Newcastle a better club than it is now? He's not even interested in Newcastle. Do you think he'd be a Newcastle fan once he sold the club for the rest of time and turn up at the games as a fan? Not a cat in chance. It It isn't going to happen. We've got to not waste this summer. That is the first thing. 
And then I hope that Wilson's fit, San Maximum's fit, Jones is as enthusiastic and is allowed to have a, a, a major, major input in the whole season. Optimistic because I'm a Geordie, realistic, not a lot of hope. There we have it. John Gibson's end of season review. John, thank you for sharing your thoughts. To you guys listening, please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast through whichever platform you get it through. And once again, thank you for tuning in. Cheers. Thanks, mate.